everybody. Welcome back and thanks for joining this episode of For Your Benefits. I'm Megan Henry, Director of Marketing for Century Health. We're the creators of Well On My Way, an industry-leading employee health and well-being solution. This is the second episode in our series about the consumerization of healthcare with Jan Oldenburg of Participatory Health Consulting. In this episode, we'll hear Jan discuss the regulatory changes that are contributing to the changing healthcare marketplace. She'll also share hot tips for employers on how to help employees manage their healthcare, and she'll share what typically doesn't work in a consumer economy. So let's take a listen. Overall, all of this is based on the premise that healthcare is what I would call, again in quotation marks, a normal market. Um, Because if it were a normal market, then price would actually respond to shopper demand. And we can argue that, well, it doesn't respond because not enough people are doing cost comparisons or cost uh, uh, estimations. But the fact is that there's so many complexities in how organizations set their prices and how they negotiate them with a wide variety of payers that it actually is really hard for um, consumers checking costs to make a difference or be at that difference be apparent in changing the price. Um, you'd also uh, think that cost would correlate to quality. You know, in pretty much every other consumer purchase, when you pay more for the service, you can be assured that you're getting higher quality of some sort. You know, I might buy a coach bag because I feel good about the quality associated with that brand. But in healthcare, unlike pretty much other places, Cost doesn't really directly correlate. You might get best service from a lowest cost provider. Um, But we really haven't taught people how to think about that, how to make that judgment, how do we evaluate the quality of the service that they're getting. Um, And you'd also get an estimate for every service. I mean, think about... Um, you know, if you go out to a restaurant to eat, I know that's a long foreign experience, but let's imagine what it used to be like. You know, you had a menu and it had prices associated with it. And for the few things that said market price, you could ask your server and they'd give you the day today's price. Uh, in healthcare, it's sort of like you go to the restaurant and you buy the meal and you don't get the bill until maybe three months later. And at that point, the pleasure of the meal and what you had and how high the quality was is sort of disappears for you. Um, Same thing is true if you think about getting um, uh, an estimate on a car repair, which is perhaps a little closer. You get an estimate up front. And if that estimate changes in the course of the service, you get asked about it. And you can make a decision about how far you want to go. Um, so, I, and I think we'd also see true uh, comparative pricing much more readily available and much clearer associated with the type of insurance and your deductible, et cetera. Um, and you'd be in a normal market much clearer if you use an intermediary like say a broker to help you buy a house, you'd know what you're paying for those services and how they affect the total price. 
Um, and perhaps most of all, uh, you know, yes, it matters to us to trust people we're buying things from. But I think that's kind of amplified in healthcare in terms of the relationship with your doctor and the importance of uh, trusting somebody with your life and your care. Um, that uh, is sort of uh, takes you in a different director direction than being hard-nosed about the, the, um, the cost. And, and perhaps most importantly, asking individual consumers to control costs makes individuals accountable for the ills of the system as a whole. Lots of things um, are uh, misaligned in the healthcare system that are not corrected when people ask for costs. So we've got to look at systemic change rather than only consumer behavior change. And Joyce, thank you for asking some questions. Um, she's asked how we can help consumers to, you know, how we can raise their competency in doing cost comparisons. And I think there are a couple of things, you know, certainly if we've got cost comparison tools, we can promote them. We can um, make sure that we're talking about them as employers. We can show um, training sessions. We can model the behavior. Um, but we also need to demand that those cost transparency tools actually are easy to use, cover a variety of um, services are easy to find comparable services. So you really know that you're doing an apples to apples comparison. Um, and, um, and she also asks this really tricky question that I raised about what tools are available to help consumers evaluate the care that they received since it cost doesn't correlate with quality. And this is a, um, I think a multi-dimensional problem. One aspect of it is um, is that uh, it's a place where I'd say both employers to some extent and uh, health plans to another try to sort of act um, in the role of the adults in the room, sort of like the way that your college um, acted as if they were your parents in setting rules in the dorms. Um, and so they're trying to implement programs that control costs, that get you, and we'll talk about this a fair amount more, get you to a lower cost program or get you to a provider that mixes high quality and low cost. But because there's not a lot of trust between um, providers and health plans, and maybe to a degree to their employers on this topic, they tend to see that not as a service that's helping them find that right mix of cost and quality, but just an effort to provide them with lower cost care. So if we're going to uh, gain their trust in some of those mechanisms, I think we've got to open the kimono. We've got to be more transparent about what are the things we look at that determine quality? Why did we suggest this provider over that provider? What is it about quality that they should be looking at? And so it's really an education process. We get trained as consumers still, I think, um, that you go to the doctor, you don't ask questions, you don't challenge the results. And as a consequence, it's hard behavior to learn and to take up 
when you're an adult. So all of those factors, I think, have an impact. But I'm a big fan of the more transparent we are about what goes into those decisions, about what does constitute quality, the more likely we're, like, we're going to bring them along with us and increase their trust in the bargain. So all of this uh, is happening around healthcare costs in an environment where consumers' expectations are changing about all of the kinds of services that they pur purchase. Um, and they expect healthcare to work a lot more like the other consumer goods and services that they deal with than they currently do. So when people find out what I do, I can't tell you, and this was back, of course, when I was actually having real conversations with new people, but how often I get questions like, well, if I can do X, uh, if I can see all my banking uh, information in one place, why can't I see all my healthcare records in one place? Um, if I can get um, my dog's whole veterinary record, why can't I get my whole health record? If I can schedule my hairdresser appointment online, why can't I schedule my provider appointments online? And you think of it, think of the ways in which our expectations have changed over that same 10 years of the graph I showed you earlier about um, all of the goods and services we work with. And people are expecting healthcare to work like those. They expect it to be convenient. They expect it to be connected and interconnected expect it to be personal and engaging, and they expect it to be effective. And those expectations color their judgment of the quality of the care that they get and their expectations about how convenient and digital the services that they receive should be. Um, and that, um, along with all of these digital tools in other aspects of their, our lives, we've seen a democratization of information and that too affects expectations. So everybody's a creator. You know, you're not just um, watching a performance, theatrical sports and waiting for the next day to read the pundits um, evaluation of it. People are providing commentary in the moment on Twitter and other social media tools. They're getting interactions. They're getting likes. Um, they're uh, relying on expertise a little bit less because they can get access to a lot of that information. It's not protected in silos in the same way. Experts aren't the only source of information. You can also potentially read a deep journal article or do a lot of research on your own. You can get evaluations from your peers. Um, and while there are potential problems with that, I think we've seen some of those play out both in uh, vaccination hesitancy um, and certainly in our politics. There are also some benefits to it and we need to figure out how to provide trusted information um, that gives people access to this deep stuff and then help them understand where they've interpreted it correctly and not. Um, 
And so as they enter into this world, they're expecting in their healthcare endeavors more partnership and more participation than they've had in the past. Um, and this has an impact on the strategies that are effective for them in working with healthcare. And I, as I talk about what partnership and participation look like, I have to uh, say I am on the board of the Society for Participatory Medicine. I do have a book out that's entitled Participatory Healthcare. You can tell this is an area that I am a champion of and um, that where I think it really does matter to consumers' health that we help them understand what it means to participate in their own health and give them the tools to do so. And frankly, train providers to understand what that care looks like and provide that kind of care. So it means a lot more shared decision-making. It's not, I recommend you do X, but let's explore what your options are and what the benefits and detriments are of each of them. Um, and there's certainly curriculums around uh, shared decision-making and training for doctors, but maybe we need to think about developing those kinds of training tools for consumers as well, or for our employees. Patient goals, wishes, and lifestyle choices are respected. So I'm on an HL7 committee that's looking at advanced directives. And, you know, one of the problems with advanced directives is that um, there's a huge issue with getting, even if you do have one as a consumer and you've expressed your wishes, making sure that that's actually available at the point of care when critical decisions are being made. Um, and until we solve some of those problems behind the scenes that are indeed systemic problems, um, we're going to have a hard time really listening to and understanding what people's goals are for their care. Uh, in addition, they're looking for more coaching and education rather than having an authority figure tell them what to do. And I, I again, this changes over time. It changes based on age. It changes based on severity of illness. I remember interviewing a woman who, somebody I really admire in terms of her decisiveness and um, her uh, taking charge of almost any situation. And I interviewed her about an experience she had with uh, Guillain-Barre sy syndrome, where if you don't know about this, it's a situation where you get paralyzed. And she'd been diagnosed at her doctor's office. And he said, you know, I'd advise you to go to the hospital right now because you're going to end up there anyway. But he didn't insist. And she was like, well, of course, I, I need to take make arrangements for my children. I need to take care of a variety of things. But by the time she got home, she couldn't even lift her two-year-old. She couldn't climb the stairs. And she realized, and I realized interviewing her, that it was a moment where she needed the doctor to be sensitive. He had information she did not about what the course of that illness was. And she needed to be further educated about um, what kinds of choices might make sense. So in that moment, she needed a more decisive provider than she would at almost any other point in her lives. And that's a sensitivity skill that again, 
we can train people. We can train people, um, physicians on motivational interviewing. We can train their staff to recognize some of these things so that we can respond to people where they are in the moment. And people expect digital tools, access to digital tools, being able to do things outside of normal business hours. Um, and actually they're beginning to vote with their feet for the kind of care they want, and that includes digital care. Accenture has been studying the digital um, health market for, I think at least since 2008, um, with surveying uh, a set of consumers every year. And in 2020, well, there wasn't, it wasn't all good news by any means, um, and it was their 2019 survey that was published in 2020. Uh, so this wasn't affected by the pandemic yet. Um, but they found that in, for the first time, 25% of people said that they um, would change providers for a better digital experience. 50% said a negative digital experience with their provider affected their whole perception of the care received. And 40% said a positive digital interaction had a positive halo effect in all of their care. So we're starting to see these behaviors emerging in terms of really having those expectations about convenience and frictionless care and participation affect the choices of providers that people make. And when we think about are the cost control strategies that we talked about earlier and that are the ones that as employers we've tended to you know, use to reduce costs, many of them are focused on controlling consumer behaviors more than educating and partnering with them. So narrow network strategies reduce the choices of how many providers that you can see, but they may also break long-established physician-patient relationships and the trust that's part of that um, with some negative impacts. Uh, Pre-authorization requirements, again, intended to reduce the cost of care or make sure that care is really necessary, but it adds a lot of friction to the process and it uses providers' time, expensive time, in not necessarily productive ways. We've talked about high deductible plans um, and some of those perverse incentives that they introduce. And this whole idea that trust is lacking in whether cost control measures are really aimed at getting the person the best and most effective care rather than just the least cost care. So these strategies need updating for a consumer economy. Think less about these high control procedures. Think less about policies that limit your access to information in your decision making. Um, think about introducing fewer things and approaches that don't respect my choice as an individual for the kind of care I want to receive. And, um, and let's think about taking other kinds of market action to affect the broader healthcare market, rather than asking consumers to make choices that don't really have as big of an effect as we would hope. Um, so strategies that match these experiences are much more likely to work. So more access to data and digital tools for me to understand my own health. 
I'm a firm believer that having access to my own data is a foundation point in my ability to really participate in my own care. Um, let's focus on changing things together, bringing your employees into the decisions that you're making about the kinds of plans that you offer, the kinds of networks you offer, work with them in partnership in these changes. Um, think about shared decision-making, not only in how you um, build the benefits that you're looking for, but also in what you ask for in the providers that you're contracting with or that your uh, health plan is contracting with on your behalf. And think about how to make all of these things integrated in a way that makes it seamless easy for employees to do so, and in a way that actually gives them the tools to match the behaviors that we hope they'll engage in. And I will also say, and I, I'll say this a couple of different times in the next couple of slides, there's something very powerful in employer leaders talking about their own experiences um, and what they encountered and how they dealt with it. I remember when I worked for Aetna, Mark Bertolini, who was the CEO at that time, talked about the experience he'd had with having to change uh, much of his behavior around his health um, due to, I think it was a closed head injury he received. And um, the way he used yoga and other strategies, even in the office, to uh, calm himself down and reduce his blood pressure. And that was very powerful as an employee in that setting. So you can have an impact. I'm also going to talk briefly about um, there are new regulations out that are going to help you. Um, so uh, the um, ONC over the last couple of years um, put out actually most recently some in, uh, regulations that will affect uh, price information. Um, now they've been put on hold by the Biden administration while they evaluate them, but, but I do expect them to move forward. One was set was for providers were supposed to take effect uh, this past January. Um, that said they had to provide both um, a consumer readable tool and a machine readable tool that explained their prices for a market basket of services. And in 2022 and 2023, payers were going to be subject to some of the same things in terms of publishing their discounted rates and the information that they actually pay in and out of network um, and for uh, prescriptions and and this um, all these things not just make it easier for consumers directly to do it, but for third parties to get access to this information to provide better tools. Similarly, um, we're seeing some of the same kinds of things take effect for uh, access to health data for consumers. So uh, there, these rules have been delayed slightly due to. Um, the impact of COVID. But in April of 2021, this coming April, um, uh, providers are required to provide API access to uh, consumers and any tool of their choice to their full health record. And that's everything from the provider notes to all aspects of their records. Um, similarly, taking place in July, um, health plans 
are responsible for providing the same information about claims or the same kinds of information. So again, this is going to provide more tools for third parties to provide access um, to the requisite information and to be able to give tools that make it easier for consumers to make these choices and for you to support them in making these choices. But you can help accelerate that change. You can hold your provider organizations to account for how they are responding to these kinds of mandates. You can look for third-party apps and tools that provide these capabilities. And you can educate your consumers, your employees, about why it matters that they use them, why they should get access to their health record, why it matters to look at the costs, and how they think about that intersection that so matters about cost and quality. I mean, why you're making some of the recommendations that you're making. These, these are the components of owning your own health that I think we really need to re-educate people about. If I had my way, we would teach this in schools from kindergarten on. But since we're not, there's a workforce element of making these changes and making them available. Um, and there are other levers of changes that you can uh, use as employers. You can um, think about these cost control tools that you might have been accepting and you can push for um, approaches that are um, more transparent, that give employees more access to the thinking behind those tools and that provide them with better um, decision-making support than not, and that may not just be digital tools, that also may be concierge services that um, help walk them through the options and the path that they have. And again, you can tell your own health story about how you work with these things and how you use them. So some key takeaways. Change is coming. It's already here actually in many respects. And you can help drive it, you can make a difference um, in your community for your employees. You can band with other employers um, to have better impact. And there are a lot of opportunities to do this in terms of looking at local markets, thinking about employer purchasing coalitions, um, thinking about the way that you can help integrate the care that your employees are receiving by the marketplace pressure that you can bring. Um, and then model the behaviors that you want to see in your employees as a leadership team. And that's partly what it means to be an informed and activated consumer. Uh, it's telling stories about how you navigate difficult health issues yourself. Um, and what kinds of um, participation in decisions you expect. So. Um, I talk to provider groups all the time and I tell organizations that it's hard for providers and nurses to model the behavior of being engaging and participatory with their patients if they're not being engaged and 
um, living in an environment where their opinions on how the environment is run are respected. And the same thing can be true in employer settings. So you may want to think about those changes in the consumer market and think about how it might um, need to be reflected in your management styles, in some of your policies and your rules. Very good. Well, to wrap up, Jan, I've got a really good question for you. And I think the timing of this is perfect. What's the best place to start or the single most important thing I can do? First of all, if you're not already, follow these behaviors around your own health, because actually it's really hard to advise people to do something that you're not already doing yourself. So, you know, make sure you understand what's happening with the providers that you've recommended to them, with the health plan that you've established for them, um, with the tools that you've established. Be an active, informed consumer of health yourself and then talk about that. Talk about it as a part of your leadership in the organization because it models a behavior that I think it's really important for people to see and they will start behaving in those ways as well. That wraps up this episode of For Your Benefits. We'd like to thank Jan for great insight and we hope that you're able to take some key takeaways home with you. As always, if you'd like to learn more about Century Health, visit our website at www.centuryhealth.com. And don't forget, if you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for joining us.